0: Open to the Gospel of Luke this morning, to the fourth chapter. And I'm going to talk about the mission of Jesus. And I'm just going to call this the essence of the Gospel. The essence of the Gospel. Luke chapter four. And we're picking up the story here where Jesus has just made his debut. You know, Jesus, um, we have the birth stories in the Bible. We're told about how he was born. And then we're told at one point that he amazed the the teachers in the temple. But we're really told nothing else about his childhood, really. There are some what we call apocryphal gospels that have sayings about Jesus' childhood. But I don't think any of those are accurate. So we really don't have any stories of his childhood. But then after however many years, some speculate and say 30, he appears on the scene at the River Jordan and is baptized by John in the River Jordan. And when he's baptized by John in the river, in Luke's account, Luke says the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove and rests upon him. So he is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then it says, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and is tempted by the devil. And then Luke says, he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Luke is a Holy Spirit gospel. Luke wrote Acts as well, you know. So if you read all the birth stories of Jesus... They're saturated with Holy Spirit texts. Songs erupting, prophetic words coming out, saturated with Holy Spirit texts. And then all the way through, and this really sets the mark for it all. This is the, this is the job description to me of Jesus' ministry. He comes out of the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the Bible says a news of him went Throughout all the region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can we say amen? Amen. If we look into the background of this text, Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61. In the book of Isaiah, there are five different, I believe, five different servant passages, what we call servant passages. And they prophetically speak of a coming Messiah. And they speak of the Messiah in terms of a servant, the servant of God. So they begin in Isaiah chapter 11 and progress through the book and we have that beautiful ending to Isaiah chapter 52 into Isaiah 53. By stripes we were healed, that passage. And then there's this passage. So what's going on? Jesus makes His debut into ministry steps into his hometown synagogue, takes up the scroll of Isaiah, opens it up, and reads Isaiah as we have it, Isaiah chapter 61, the first three verses. He reads that and makes this bold announcement that today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Today, These scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you know what happens in Nazareth, the people get really offended at him. At one point, they try to shove him off a cliff. At another point, he goes back and he can do not many great works there because of their unbelief. One of my mentors, Elias Malky, took us to an ancient synagogue in Nazareth and preached on offense. And he preached on offense because he said what happened to them is the people in Nazareth became f- offended at him. And that offense stopped the miracles later on when, they, when Jesus came to them. Anyhow, that's another free sermon. Y'all don't have to pay me for that now, but that's just another one on get all the offense out so the miracles can flow in your life. But then he reads the scroll of Isaiah And he sits down. And to me, this becomes the mission statement of Jesus. This becomes the mission statement of Jesus. This is what the gospel is about. The kingdom has now come. The kingdom has now come. In the Old Testament, the Jews looked for the kingdom. The prophets spoke of the coming kingdom, that there would be a Messiah who would come and set up his kingdom. And so the Jews always looked for that kingdom to come in a military way, that the Messiah would come. He would be a military conqueror. He would kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And then he would set up his, his kingdom like that of David. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came instead, and He was a humble servant. He gave His life. He died. Rose on the third day. He came as that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Hallelujah. So why did He come? Big picture, He came to forgive the sins of the world. He came to die for the sins of the world. Let me put it that way. He came to pay the price so you and I could be forgiven. That's the big picture. But now I want to parse each of these statements and see what the mission statement of Jesus looks like broken down. First of all, he said, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. I have come... To preach the gospel to the poor. First of all, there's two words I want to pick out here. First is gospel and and to preach the gospel. And the second is poor. So in the original language, to preach here uh, comes from the word evangelize. and, And it means to announce and to announce good news. So the gospel of the kingdom is good news. The gospel of the kingdom is good news. I think sometimes we get in a religious mode and we make it bad news. But Jesus came to announce good news. And He came particularly to preach to the poor. And we notice He preaches to the poor and to the marginalized all through the gospels. He he has women in His uh, closest circle. He has... uh, Lepers that come to him and are healed. He talks about, he praises the widow who only has two mites to bring because she's given as a sacrifice. And two, we know also if you study missions work around the, nation, around the globe, that missiologists will tell you that there's a normal process that happens when, when the gospel goes into a certain people. And that is there's a redemption and lift of the society that will happen. As the people hear the message of the gospel and they believe, they get saved, they start living right, they become industrious, they give and sow and God starts blessing, and the whole society lifts. It's called redemption and lift. So what's good news to a poor person? Don't have to be poor no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're in in the, I mean, and and we are blessed to give to the poor. When we do that at Fountain of Life, we're blessed to do that. But the gospel can lift people. The gospel comes to lift people. And so when we preach, we preach good news. I don't preach, you're going to be broke and sick and God's going to put cancer on you and God's going to take you through the ringer. I don't preach that. I had to work a lot, all that out of my life. That I, I, and I had to start seeing God was really as good as He says He is in Scripture. And sure, God is a God of judgment too. understand all that. But God is a God of goodness and His favor is on us. And when we hear the good news and I preach the good news, I want it to be what Jesus did, preaching good news. I came not to bring you down. I came to lift you up. Come on, somebody, you're going to make it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, you got heaven in your front window. Hallelujah. You got hell behind you. Hallelujah. You got resurrection life in you. Glory to God. The grave is behind you now. This is the good news. Second thing he said I have come to heal the brokenhearted. This term, this term heal, iaomai, is used in Luke's writings only for physical healing. Could have he meant it in a figurative way? Sure. He heals the brokenhearted. He heals the spirit of man or the soul of man. He comes and he heals the emotions and he aligns the affections. He does all that. But if we get tight into this context, he really comes to bring physical healing to our bodies. Let me know, just pick this word out of Luke's writing in the gospel. Luke 5.15. It happened on a certain day, 5.17. As Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judah and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Luke 6, 17. He came down with them, stood on a level place, and he's just with with a crowd and the disciples and a great multitude of people from all Jerusalem and Judea and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. I can't help, I don't believe it's hyperbole here, I believe he literally healed them all. Luke seven seventeen. the centurion said, listen, I don't want to presume on you, but just say the word only, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was marveled at this guy's faith and his servant was healed just by the spoken word of Jesus. Same word used. Luke 8, 7. A woman with an issue of blood, Luke 8:47, presses through the crowd. She's healed. Luke chapter 9. He gives his disciples the authority to heal the sick. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. The crowds followed him and welcomed him, and he spoke to them of the kingdom and cured those who had need of healing. Luke 9:42. Jesus rebuked an unclean spirit and healed a boy and gave him back to his father. Luke 14:4. 4, he heals a man with dropsy. Luke 17:15. Ten lepers he heals. One comes back and gives thanks. And in Luke 22, we're told that Peter struck off the ear of the the servant of the high priest. And Jesus told him no more of this. Touch the man's ear and healed him, even when they were arresting him to take him to trial and crucifixion. So we see this word used all through. He came to heal the brokenhearted. So he comes to bring physical healing, emotional healing, and to heal the heart's And bodies of people. Years ago, T.L. Osborne, who's one of my heroes. T.L. Osborne uh, was a denominational Pentecostal missionary. And he went overseas to India. And he spent time, he and his wife did, as he described it, trying to convert Muslims. And he went there and he said they would pull out their Bible their the Quran. I would pull out my Bible, and we would sit there and discuss passages and argue passages. And he said it was totally unfruitful. He said he went back home to America, and when he went to America, he stumbled into a meeting one night with a man named William Branham. And he said I was sitting up in the nosebleed, and William Branham was on stage, and William Branham started healing the sick. And he brought someone I think their eyes were crossed or couldn't see or something terribly wrong with this young person and he brought them in front of the crowd and turned the person there and he prayed for them and they were completely healed. And Branham said I mean uh, Osborne said when I saw this it was as if 10,000 voices spoke to me and said you can do the very same thing. And so he went back on the mission field And started traveling, but this time praying for sick and working in miracles. And he saw millions come to Christ. Millions come to Christ. Basically invented Mass Crusade evangelism. Years ago in my home in Washington, D.C., I had a friend from Rwanda come and stay with me. And he had grown up in Uganda because his family had been pushed out of Rwanda and he grew up under some at some point under Idi Amin. And he looked on my shelf and he said, oh, God, you have T.L. Osborne's books. I said, yes. I said, you can have them all. He said, this man came to Uganda and healed the nation. After Idi Amin's despotic rule, he said, this man came and healed our nation. Why am I telling that? Because miracles work. Because God's still in the miracle business. God's a good God, and He wants to do. He wants to heal some brokenhearted people. He's coming not to break you down. He's coming to build you up. He's coming not to bury you. He's coming to resurrect you. Hallelujah! He's coming to open you, open up your mind and spirit to His word and His love and His goodness. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. Somebody shout, Amen third thing he says he comes to do. He come. He said, I come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Notice this. He's saying he comes to proclaim liberty or to set free or to pardon or to forgive people who are held captive. I think in particular here, it's talking about people held captive in sin. Because the word to set at liberty really means to let them go as if they had never committed a wrong. Now you know if you're put in jail in America or in prison, you carry a record with you. You can serve your time and get out and be free, but there's a, there's a record somewhere and if you're ever arrested again, that record stands against you. The cool thing about God is, the super cool thing about God is, He forgives you and throws it out as if, as if you had never committed it. My God, that hit me. Hallelujah. He sets at liberty the captives, those bound in sin. He said, I've come to set them free. Those bound with addiction, I've come to set you free. Those who are, who are locked in some kind of perpetual sin, I've come to set you free. Hallelujah. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live in that. You don't have to live bound by that. Jesus has come to set you free. Can somebody give Him a shout in this house this morning? Come to set you free. So he walked up. You're in jail. Shackles. And he just takes the key and opens the door. Unlocks the shackles and says, now you can go. You can go. You can go. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. There was an old mountain preacher who had a dream... And he said he had a dream that he was in a dungeon. And he saw all these people hanging like uh, the old time you know, uh, prisoners in a dungeon, shackled to the wall. And he said a, a key appeared in his hand. And he started running just as fast as he could, unlocking every one's shackles. Hallelujah. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power that God has granted or bequeathed to you and I. The power to go set people free. Somebody shout amen. Then he says he's come to bring recovery of sight to the blind. I've come to bring the recovery of sight to the blind. I think this works two ways. Number one, physically. Every time that word is used in Luke's writings, it means someone who is physically blind. And Jesus heals the blind over and over. He heals the blind. We see the blind healed now in our day. He comes to heal the blind. Not only that, he comes to heal the blind in a figurative way. Those who are walking in darkness. Those who are walking in deception. Jesus comes to set you free. He comes to bring recovery to you. He comes to bring light where there is darkness. He comes to bring revelation where there is ignorance. He comes to bring freedom where there is bondage. He comes to bring hope where there is despair. Come on somebody. He comes to open you up to all the good things that God wants to do in your life. Come on, raise your hand right now and say, Thank you, Lord. I once was blind. But now I see. You know, John chapter 9 is this beautiful story of a blind man. And Jesus and his disciples walk up on this blind man, and the disciples say, Lord, who sinned that this man is like this? Was it his parents? Jesus said, in in so many words, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that the kingdom of God is getting ready to be manifest. And he walks up and he heals the blind man. Heals him. The blind man is healed. Jesus walks off, he't get a, he doesn't spend time with him. and then the rulers of the synagogue come and they think something bad has gone wrong if a blind man's been healed. I mean, we've been having church for years and ain't nothing been happening. Somebody gets healed, something's wrong. So they start interrogating this poor, formerly blind man. And they said, who healed you? And he said, I I don't know. A man named Jesus healed me. Okay. But it's never been heard of a man healing the blind. Who did this really? He said, I don't know. He was a prophet. Maybe you would like to be one of his followers. And then they get ticked off. Call his parents in here. And the parents come in and the parents are afraid because they're all getting ready to get kicked out of synagogue. So the parents come in and they're afraid. And they're like, we don't know. Ask the boy. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And you know what happens in the end? They kick him out of the synagogue. He walks down the street and Jesus comes and gets him. said do you believe in the son of god he said lord how can i know who the son of god is he said you're talking to him said lord i believe then at the end of the chapter jesus chastises the pharisees for not being able to see you're blind but you can't see they were the ones who were blind, though they could physically see. They were blind as a bat spiritually. The poor blind man received both physical healing and a spiritual enlightenment in his life. The ancient church fathers used that as as a you know kind of a. Theosis passage as becoming like God more and more as you walk toward Him. It's a fascinating passage. Hallelujah. He comes to heal you physically and He comes to heal you spiritually and in a figurative way, He heals and binds up the brokenhearted and heals the blindness in your life. Then He says, He comes to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now the term here, liberty is the term apostello, which means to go or to go out, to take out. So not only does He forgive sins, not only does He heal sicknesses, not only does He bless poor people, He comes to cast out whatever is oppressing you. He comes to cast out whatever is oppressing you. I'm going to say it for those on the back row. He comes to cast out whatever is oppressing you. I just can't make it through Christmas season. No, you're going to make it through Christmas season this year because 2023 is a different year for you in Jesus' name. Come on, hallelujah. Get rid of the grief. It's a spirit. Hallelujah. Receive the blessing of Jesus. Let all that oppression go in the name of Jesus. Come on, you agree with me right now? We're going to come into agreement right now. And and I'm not going to break this agreement. If anybody breaks it, it's you. I'm not going to break it. Y'all come in agreement with with me right now? This is going to be the best Christmas we've ever had to this point. Best Christmas. In Jesus' name. Now give him a shout right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Best Christmas. Get ready. Get Frank Sinatra tuned up. Get it ready. Get the lights going. Hallelujah. It's gonna be the best Christmas yet. Why? Because you don't have to be broke and oppressed and tired and lame and dragging along to heaven. He come to set you free, who the sun sets free, he's free indeed. Go ahead and get some Jesus joy in your heart. Come on, let salvation get down in your bones where you feel it. Go ahead and just be free like He's called you to be. Give Him a shout in here this morning. Hallelujah. you know what the good news is? If you're oppressed, you don't have to be oppressed anymore. If you're possessed, don't have to be possessed anymore. If you're demonized, don't have to be demonized anymore. Those spirits that had access to you don't have to have access to you anymore. Come on, a greater one has entered in the house, and a greater one has bound the weaker one and cast him out. Now you have authority over all the power of the enemy. Just give him a shout hallelujah. Cast out everything that oppresses or depresses you. Final thing he says. And I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now it's without doubt when scholars look at this, they know he was talking about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. What is the year of Jubilee? If you've been following me on Wednesday night Bible study... And I found out from the early crowd, won't too many have been following me on Wednesday night Bible study. But I've been teaching through the Bible for years here. Every Wednesday night, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And we just finished the exciting book of Leviticus. And it was quite exciting, actually. 27 chapters. The 25th chapter is the chapter of sabbatical years. And what God commands them in there is He says, listen, you coming into the promised land, here's what you need to do. Every seventh year, you need to let the land rest. You need to let the land rest. You don't need to do any work. I'm going to bless you enough in the sixth year to carry you into the eighth year. I'm going to bless you enough, He said, for a three-year provision, basically. Coming out of the sixth all the way through the seventh into the eighth, I'm blessing you. That's how. My, why? Because God wanted to show them, I'm in charge, and I'm in control, and I can bless you. Amen. I own it all anyhow. And then he said, after you've done seven sabbatical years, that'll be 49. You'll come to the 49th year, which is a sabbatical year. And then, I'm going to tack on one more year, which is a 50th year, and that we're calling the year of Jubilee. And here's what's going to happen in the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts are going to be forgiven. All slaves are going to be freed. And every person can return to their ancestral land. Their family farm. Their piece of land. I'm going to give it back to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. There were stipulations, but that's the big picture. So each person, if they lived a a halfway long life, Each person in Israel would have seen the year of Jubilee at least one time in their lifetime. There is a German scholar who wrote an academic paper who believes that the years of Jubilee add up perfectly to the Jubilee year to when Jesus inaugurated his ministry here in Luke chapter 4. He believes it was a Jubilee year. Whatever the case may be, this is what Jesus is saying, and this about makes me want to run around the parking lot. And that is, I have come to declare to you a perpetual jubilee year, a perpetual season of the favor of God. Debts forgiven, slaves being set free, land returned to the owner. What does that mean? It means every morning when you and I wake up in the kingdom. Now we wake up and His mercies are new every morning. And I just have awakened to a jubilee year in my life. I just woke up and my sins are still forgiven. I just woke up and God's blessing is still on my life. I just woke up and I've still been set free from sin, set free from the penalty of sin, and on my way to heaven. I still woke up, and I'm a kingdom representative. I'm an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm an ambassador of a heavenly home. Somebody shout amen. I woke up healed, blessed, saved, delivered, Holy Ghost filled, flowing in the gifts, speaking and declaring the Word. I woke up into a perpetual jubilee year. Somebody give him a shout. I said, I woke up into a jubilee year this morning. Somebody give him a shout. I'm just going to go ahead and say it means healing is mine today, blessings are mine today, the kingdom I'm living in today, God's favor's on me today. and it re- i had really had to work in this i studied all this you know studied all this sovereignty of god stuff studied theology for 20 to 30 years studied and and, and it re- all this stuff can work in your head to where everybody makes an excuse or people come out and write books on why god doesn't do things and there's all kinds of mounds of theology on why god doesn't do things and so people take tragedies often and they develop a belief around them. Or they take a tragedy and write a book on it. And they come up with their own theory on how God should work and how God moves. And i tell you what, I've just thrown that all away. I went through my library. My books were always precious to me. I've got books in several different locations. And I went through my library one day and just started throwing stuff in the garbage. Okay. To some of y'all, it's like I threw my hunting guns away or <laughs> threw my fishing rods away. I just started throwing some stuff out because it was pure garbage. And I knew it was. I knew the thinking. It could have been a theologian writing it, but I knew the thinking was tainted. And it wasn't according to the Scripture. I just started throwing a bunch of stuff out. I said, some stuff I've got to keep because I've got to write with certain things, but I'm throwing that out once I finish. Because I thought, if we have the lifespan we have here, why are we not filling our lives getting as close to God as we can? Believing as strong as we can. Believing in an unadulterated, pure Word of God that can set captives free, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, (laughs) cast out demons, help hurting people. But see, when religion gets in, it brings a separation. Religion brings this a a class situation, just like there was in the Gospels. They could curl their noses up at people below them. And so Jesus walks in with a bunch of Galileans. These are like hillbillies. You know, they had to offend the elite priestly class in Jerusalem. I don't know why I'm saying all this. So when we go into the grocery store here, religion has you judge everybody in that grocery store. You're not thinking like Luke chapter 14, I've come to bring the gospel. You're thinking like, look at that lady. Can you believe she got out of the house dressed like that? Or look at this guy. He's tatted head to toe. What's he thinking? And religion wants you to come and start judging instead of seeing the heart and seeing what God wants to do in those people. Wow. Preach on, my gosh. Because Jesus obviously saw stuff in people I would have never seen in people. He obviously saw some stuff in you guys that I would have never seen. He obviously saw some stuff in me that y'all would have never seen. Because He's the good shepherd. He's coming out looking for the brokenhearted, looking for the blind and looking for the poor, looking for the captive. Why? Because he's come to bring some good news to them. I've got good news. You can come out. You can come out now. You can come out. There's a better life. There's a better way. You don't have to live bound. You don't have to live depressed. There's a better way to live. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. One more thing and we're going to pray. Then Luke chapter 9. This is the coolest Luke chapter 9, the Bible says, And he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So now he's saying, Okay, guys, you know what my purpose is here. I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. That's my purpose. I've come to bring healing, deliverance, forgiveness, perpetual year of jubilee. Now, I'm going to pass the baton over to you guys. And you're going to go out and preach the kingdom, which are these things. And you're going to heal the sick. And by the way, I'm going to give you power and authority over every demon there is. So here's the cool thing. In the early service, we had a former sheriff, current sheriff, and a politician. And this isn't a joke. It sounds like I'm setting up a joke. But I just asked them openly in the first service, is it true that the highest elected official in a county is a sheriff? And I think that's true. The highest elected official in any in a, in a, in a county is a sheriff. If need be, the sheriff could arrest a judge if he had done wrong, Right? So basically, he's the highest elected official. So he has authority on him like nobody else in the county. By virtue of his position. Now, Paul said in Romans 1 that Jesus has been declared the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. He's always been the Son of God, but when he rose from the dead, he got The championship belt. He is the Son of God forever. Seated in a position of authority forever. Every demon, every sickness, he's above everything that is named. Come on, cancer has a name. Diabetes has a name. Depression has a name. ADHD has a name. He's above everything that is named. <laughs> Sits high above it all. But then he said, now boys, I'm turning this authority over to you guys. I'm going home. You're going to carry it out. So what does a, what does a sheriff do? A sheriff has to arrest people, has to serve warrants, has to protect the community, has to go to events, has to you know campaign, has to, all this. So he can't do it by himself, so he goes out and deputizes certain other individuals and when he deputizes an individual they become a deputy meaning they have been given a piece of his authority not only do they have authority they're given power he gives them a gun something to knock people in the head with handcuffs car outfit shoes hat the whole deal Power and authority. That's why a deputy can show up in the middle of a traffic jam and have nothing protecting him and stand out there and start directing traffic. Why? Because the badge he wears represents the authority he's under. And if you mess with him, you're messing with the biggest authority in the county. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm you. Therefore you go out, raise the dead, Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They go out and they do it and they come back stoked. They're so excited and the Bible says when Jesus received them back in the next chapter, chapter 10 of Luke, that he rejoiced in spirit. This might be taking too much liberty, but one man said, you could translate that from the Greek, he jumped up, spun around. They went out and cast out demons and preached and healed the sick. And he came back and Jesus is like, you know, we think of Jesus in that 1970s. Jesus of Nazareth or King of Kings back before that. It's like, thou didest good, my son, or thou didst well. But I think he was more like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you did. That's what I'm talking about. I told you you've seen me do this and I told you you could do it. That's what I'm talking about! He said, you know what guys? I saw Satan fall like lightning when you guys went out. Woo! When you took my authority, it shook the heavens above. It shook the principalities. Why? Because my authority is on you now. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. Now that's been bequeathed and handed off to you and I. And now Fountain of Life Church is a Holy Ghost church of authority. Walking in the authority of Jesus. Healing the sick. Preaching the kingdom. Raising the dead. Casting out demons. Healing the poor. Bringing them up to the next level. That's what we're about. That's the essence of the gospel. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. I dare you to stand on your feet and raise your hand and say, Lord, send me. Deputize me, Lord. Deputize me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know what we have to do is we have to get a determined attitude that says, I'm not taking no for an answer anymore. We're not taking no for an answer. I love the story. Y'all stand with me for a moment. I love the story of Todd White. He went out and he found out he could go lay hands on the sick and pray for sick folk. So he started going to the grocery stores. And And I understand he went so much and prayed for so many sick people, his wife would no longer go with him to the grocery store. But he prayed for 900 people and no one got healed 900 people and no one got healed but he would come back rejoicing even testify about it i prayed for somebody were they healed no but we're believing well we pray for them and god's gonna do something and then something tripped and people started getting healed like crazy i have a friend i've had him here before named david and david had the same testimony he said i just started going praying for people everywhere i could go man taking teams across you know seas and going different nations and praying for people and having little results and then one day something tripped and we started having scores of people healed i don't know if it's just like a um It's just like a tipping point, like where your faith just, where you just get that, I don't care anymore. I'm going to still do the ministry of Jesus, and I'm not going to stop. Because Satan wants to shut us down. He wants you to be embarrassed. He wants you to get your feelings hurt. Dignity isn't a gift of the Spirit, though. Don't worry about it. Keep on loving people. Yeah, but what if somebody's rude to me? Well, good, good. That that way you get to be the love of Jesus to them. That's a seed you get to sow into them. I love you anyhow. Somebody cusses you out. Praise the Lord. You get to bless them back, you get to practice the Sermon on the Mount. What if somebody goes down the road and gives you certain hand signals? You you want them to run into a concrete wall, but actually that's your opportunity to bless them. Lord, I just pray for that person. I'd like to strangle them, but Lord bless them. And here's the deal: some people we don't know what they're they're going through, or what they've experienced, or what kind of hatred, or what kind of hurt, or what kind of abuse is in their heart. You're there not to stir it up. You're there to be the love element. You're there to be Jesus to them healing the brokenhearted, setting the captive free, preaching the acceptable year of God's favor. Come on, everybody, lift your hands. Father, we thank you today. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.